You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. This week, we have Scott McNamara sharing on Jesus at the door and why we need to share the gospel. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay, Lord, let me pray. Father, I thank you for your presence here. Lord, I ask you this morning that with the time that we have, we would get a lot done and that you'd pour out your spirit and that every word would be like an arrow that strikes into our hearts. We love you. We bring you all the glory and all the praise. And everybody said... Amen. Okay, I'm going to try and fly, fly through with what I have here. So what I would like to begin with is a little anecdote, a little story just to kind of set the tone. In fact, no. Yes, let's do that. Okay, here we go. You ready? Everybody got their listening ears on? Good students. A mother and baby camel were lying around and suddenly the baby camel asked, Mom, may I ask you some questions? The mother said, sure. Why, son, is there something bothering you? The baby said, why do camels have humps? The mother said, well, son, we are desert animals. We need humps to store water, and we are known to survive without water. The baby said, okay, then why are our legs long and our feet rounded? The mother said, son, obviously they are meant for walking in the desert. You know, with these legs, I can move around the desert better than anyone does. The baby said, okay, so why are our eyelashes so long? Sometimes it bothers my sight, the baby said. The mother said with pride, my son, these thick, long eyelashes are your protective cover. They help to protect your eyes from the desert sand and wind. The baby, after thinking, said, I see. So the hump is to store water when we're in the desert. The legs are for walking through the desert, and the eyelashes protect me from the desert sand. Then why are we in the zoo? I'm going to just give it a few seconds. It's still filtering out. Some people are it's still early. Let me tell you this. Animals weren't made to be in the zoo. Do you know why? Because that's how they were created. They were created to be in the wild. They're far too beautiful to be stuck inside a cage. They weren't built that way. And what happens to animals when they're confined to a cage is they become sleepy and tired and bored and they lose that instinct. So what happens is we put them in cages and we go along with our families. And by the way, this is not a, a, a WWF protest or something like that, you know? A World Wildlife Fund protest or something. Just a Greenpeace or something like that. I'm, just, I'm going somewhere with this, bear with me. Okay, so the idea is, you know, we go to the zoo and we watch, we look at animals and, and, you know, half of the time or more, they're just lying there sleeping. Perform for me, animal. But they don't do anything, man. They're just kind of lying there. And, and you know, you get there all excited with the kids. And you're, like, and you're waiting to see something. And nothing happens. Because you know what they do to those animals? They medicate them. They drug them, as I'm sure you're aware. And let me tell you why they drug them. They drug them so that they can function in this alternate environment. Because they're not meant to be. They're not built to be in that environment. So they have to suppress their instincts. So they drug them in order to keep them sleepy enough so that they just give in to that environment. And then this is what happens. The animals look around the other cages and they see their fellow lions and orange utans. That's a funny story. I went to the zoo once with my wife. And she said, what's an orange utan? I've never let her live, never let her live it down. That's orangutan, by the way, for those who don't know. 
so they look around and they see all the other orange Utahns and they're thinking, man, this guy, he's just doing exactly what I'm doing, so this must be the culture. This must just be zoo culture. This is my lot in life. This is what I'm here for. This is what I'm made for. This is it. What, an American? This is what I'm made for. This is all I'm meant to be here for, to sit in a zoo and just sit in a cage and wait to be fed. That's my lot in life. And then if they were to be released, these animals that have been born and raised in zoos, they wouldn't know what to do in the wild because they've had everything given to them on a plate. They've never been free to use their instincts. And you know, it's like that in church culture. Many of us have been confined to a church building. And the truth of it is, we were built for adventure. Just like animals, man. We were were born again for adventure. God's got an adventure for every single one of you guys. But the problem is this. We don't leave our cages. We don't leave our confined environments and we get bored. And we get sleepy and frustrated. And we just come and we just receive our daily food. Or our weekly food from the pastor or from the teacher, and we think, okay, that'll do me. But we never leave the confines of our safety, of this environment that's been built around us. We never leave it. And we wonder why we're frustrated, and we're bored, and we're sleepy. And you know what happens with animals? Like I said, they get medicated. They get drugged. And for many of us, we're looking for that more, but we settle for something less. And the devil's used a secular society to sedate us. TV, movies, celebrity culture, whatever it may be. For many of us, we're self-medicating. Alcohol, prescription drugs. Just something to fill this void because we know that there is more than what we're living. And I want to tell you that that more is to share who you are. But how can you ever find out who you are if all you do is stay in this confined environment? First, you've got to find out who you are. Who were you made to be? Because let me tell you, you're too beautiful to stay in this church. People need what you have. People out there need to see you. They need to see who you are and what you carry and what you have. Because it changes people's lives. And even even in little woodland, it makes a difference. I have three friends with me this morning. Jennifer, Dustin, and Philip. And I met them all in the same place, in your local Walmart store. I was just going about my business, and we got chatting, and I shared a simple tool picture with them, which I'm going to share with you guys later. But that was it. People want to see who you are, because, you see, people need this Jesus. And if you don't know who you are, how will they ever find out who they are? So what we're going to do is we're going to leave the cage. We're going to leave this confined environment. We're going to say, man, I'm going to find out who I am. And I'm going to tell you who you are. In Proverbs 28, verse 1, this is what the Bible says. It says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. Turn to your neighbor and give me your best roar. (sighs) Jonathan, that's impressive. (laughs) The righteous are as bold as a lion. So what that means, that means if you are walking with the Lord, you're a lion or you're a lioness. And man, I've, I've met some lionesses in my time. 
some kind of women. You know, so I met this like 85-year-old grandma in my church once. Man, she was a lioness. I'm like, give me some of what you got, Gil. Let me tell you this. You've got to leave the cage to find out who you are. But when you step out, you find that lion inside of you because you become dependent on the Holy Spirit and become dependent upon the instruction that he's going to give you. He's going to counsel you and mold you and shape you and show you who you are. I'm going to take you to uh, John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, we read about uh, the woman at the well, the woman at Samaria. You guys are familiar with that story. I'm just going to pick it up. Is everyone familiar with the story? Jesus is uh, walking through Samaria, and he stops off for a drink. And at that time, at the well, there was a lady there. Now, the lady lived a promiscuous lifestyle. She was a lady that was so ashamed of her life that what she did, she went to go and get her water, her daily sustenance, when there was nobody else about because she was embarrassed. You know, if it was Walmart, she would have gone, you know, like five minutes before closing when nobody's there. Because it was a situation where she didn't want to be around people. She was so embarrassed and so ashamed. But she goes and she gets her water. And Jesus just happened to be there at that time. And I'm just going to pick it up here from verse 26, 25. The woman said to Jesus, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus said, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and meet a man who just told me everything about my life. Could he be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. Jesus said, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples said amongst each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. And then Jesus goes to talk about a harvest that is ready right now. I don't believe it's a coincidence that Jesus tackled the two most important things in the human body, food and drink. That he put them right together in a context that says this. You see, the woman at the well needed her water every single day. It was like, a, like an addict needing a fix. She didn't want to live near a well. Now, in those days, you had a town well, and you need to base your life around that, that well because you need your daily water. Now, she didn't want to be there because she was so ashamed. You know, when I lived in, Col- uh, the place I lived in, Coleraine in Northern Ireland, you know, I made a lot of mistakes there. A lot of mistakes. I backslid. I, you know, I, I kind of ruined a lot of people's lives. I just made some bad choices, man. And I ended up back uh, in the gutter where the Lord found me. I didn't want to be in that town. And I, I moved back to, to um, Liverpool, where I'm originally from. And, and you know, while I was there, um, the Lord told me to come back and, and I ended up moving back, and I didn't want to be there. And I remember walking down the the town thinking, I just hope nobody sees me. And I had my head down because all my mistakes were made in that town. I didn't want to be there. Get me anywhere but this town. And you know what the Lord decided to do? The Lord said, hey, I want you to go and stand on the same streets in the same town where you made your mistakes. And I want you to go and stand proud and tell all these people about me. I said, Lord, man, I'm so ashamed. You know, I wrecked everything. I can't do this. God said, you go 
And the first day I, I go to do it, and he says, whoa, whoa, hang on. I want you to put on your red coat and, and, go, and go. I'm like, Lord, there's no way I'm wearing that red coat. You see, that my red jacket was synonymous with my mistakes. In the bars and the different places I would go, I'd wear this coat. So when, you know, when I kind of came back to the Lord, the coat was, you know, it was in the, the back of the, the wardrobe, the, whatever you call it, wardrobe, you guys call it that? Dress or closet. I'm like, man, stick that thing in the back. I'm never touching it again because it reminded me. And the Lord says, you, you pick it up and you put it on. I said, God, I'm not wearing nothing. And I had this back and forth. And as you know, the Lord always wins. So I'm like, okay, I'll wear it. But this is a one-off. So I put the coat on. I stand on the street corner. And people begin to come over to me and they say, where have you been? I haven't seen you for a long time. I say, that's because I moved away. But I'm back now. And I'm with Jesus now. And I began to share about Jesus. And I'm going to tell you this. I was a shamed, scarred man hiding in the shadows and masking my face in that town because I was so ashamed. But in that town was the town that God chose to use me to be part of a move of God that saw thousands won for him. Because he doesn't care about the shame. He'll wipe that clean. Let me tell you why. Every bit of shame you carry, he carried on the cross. So you don't have to have it anymore. Shame's gone. Let it go. The woman at the well, she didn't want to be there. Because she was so ashamed, I'm not going to see anybody, man. I'll come and get my water as long as nobody's there. Midday sun, everyone's having a snooze. Let's go and get what I need to get. But while she was there, she met the Messiah. And let me tell you this. As you know, when you meet the Messiah, everything changes. I am the Messiah. I am Jesus. I'm your Savior. I love you. I gave everything for you. This is me. This is who I am. Remember when he said those words to you guys? What was your response back then? Can you remember that far back? I know my response was, man, I've got to run and I've got to tell somebody about this Jesus who just changed my life. I've got to open my mouth. I don't know what I'm going to say. I have been, never been to Bible school. I, I've never had a, a course on the, uh, to, uh, on the scriptures. I've never, no one's ever given me this exposition of the scriptures. All I know is that I was lost, but now I'm found. All I know is that I was blind, but now I see. And I just want to talk to people about Jesus. Well, that's what happened with the woman at the well. And I'm going to tell you what happened. Her life changed. She went from the, the water was her treasure. That was everything that her life was built around. And she had it right there. And then Jesus came, as he often does, and interrupts our, our life in a good way. And he said, I'm the Messiah. And she said, I don't want, I don't even, I can't think about anything. Except I've got to run and I've got to just start talking to people. Jesus tackled that most important thing, drink, the, 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 what we need, our daily sustenance. And then he went straight on and he went to food. I don't need food. There's something more important than food and it is the gospel. And I'm going to tell you this, that is not a coincidence. I believe the Holy Spirit showed me that Jesus put back to back food and drink back to back to say this, that there is more to your life. There is more to your life than food and drink. If you want to be fulfilled, if you want this abundant living that was promised by Jesus, there is something you need to do, and that is proclamation of the gospel. That is, you need to start running some of you guys physically. You need to start moving your legs, and you need to start saying, hey, can I talk to you about the one who just changed my life? Some of you guys need to get off your bums and you need to start moving because you're too sleepy and you're too frustrated and you're too bored. And I'm just laying it out there for you and I'm being straight, okay? Some of us need to wake up a little. 
People are dying and people are waiting to hear what you have. And it's not that difficult. You go and buy a gallon, a, a liter of milk and say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? And things change. I've got free, free friends here. It wasn't that complicated, was it? Philip, when we met, was it complicated? No, man. I remember in my town, I, I, I saw a young lad and I, I was standing there sharing the gospel and he walked past me and I thought, I like, I'd like to speak to him. Hey, hey, excuse me. Just carries on walking. Excuse me. Just said, yeah, man. So he's walking and I'm like, man, I really want to speak to this guy. So I kind of like, I, I do that kind of double walk thing, you know? You, you know, you don't quite, you, you, you don't quite want to run, but you kind of, you, you know, so I'm doing this kind of thing and I'm like, hey, hey. And he's not, he's not responding. So I thought, man, I'm just going to, I'm going to go for it. So I start running after this guy and I'm running after him to try and get his attention. I stop him and say, hey. And he's like, what do you want? I'm, I'm like, man, I want to talk to you about something about Jesus. Now, let me tell you this. The guy, he heard me calling, but he didn't want to stop. Well, part of him didn't want to stop. When I stopped him and I shared the gospel and the power of God touched him, he said, man, secretly, part of me has been wanting every single day to be stopped by one of you God Squad guys. That was my new believers group. That's what we were called. This guy was a drug dealer. He was a gangster. He was moving a lot of drugs for some big, big time gangsters. He got touched by the power of God. He went home and he washed away $1,800 worth of drugs. Just like that. Why? Because I ran after him and said, hey, I really need to talk to you about Jesus. When was the last time you were after somebody to talk to them about Jesus? When was the last time you ran because you were going to miss a flight? When was the last time you ran because you were going to miss a coffee date with a friend? I mean, I'm just trying to put things in perspective here. People are dying. Can we wake up a little? You see, what has happened is we've received this sedation from a secular society. It says, hey, man, you just sit there, you watch your TV, you, you, you surf the internet, man, you just, all's good. You just keep doing what you're doing. And we feed it, and we, and we feed on it, and we drink on it, and we're just absorbing it all from society around us. But Jesus says, no, that's not my culture. I've got another culture. And we're in our churches, and we look around at our friends, and we say, man, well, they're doing what I'm doing, so I guess this is just church culture. But it takes somebody to stand up and say, no, man, this is not the culture. We've got to get out the building. And thank the Lord we have a church that is, that is about being out there. But we need more. We need more. I still see room in our church. That means we need to be more active. Does that make sense? Okay. So let me uh, walk you guys through this. So what I want to do, I want to give you a practical tool how this can help you. And then I just want to share something at the end. So this is a practical way for you to be able to share the gospel. Simple, two-minute tool. And, you know, Sonny, Sonny, what was your friend called again? Your friend's name, who's Chad? Laura. So Laura, there's a perfect example, okay? Somebody who just, man, I just, she just shared whatever was on her heart. Laura, there you are. So she just shared whatever, whatever was on her heart. I've, I've met lots of people, and they're like, man, I didn't really know what to do. And they took our card and read it, and people got saved. Now, 11-year-old girl called Isabel, Oklahoma, my first time ministering in the U.S. She comes to my training, and I'm looking at her, and I'm thinking, why is she here? She's like petrified. She wouldn't look me in the eye, and she's like so young. I'm thinking, same age as my daughter, 11, and she's like, she was so nervous. And, she, and uh, she came anyway, and she got onto the street, and she just stood there. 
and she turned in this, into this little lioness. As soon as she got out in the street, she's like, b- before in the building, she's like really timid, gets out there and she's just like, and she just starts proudly, eloquently professing the gospel through this card. By the end of it, the lady burst out crying, got saved. That's the power of the gospel. And the more she stepped out, the more her confidence grew. Because the more that her flesh was dying and her real identity was coming to life. The identity that you are a lion. That you're a warrior. That you were made to be out in the wild. Not made to be stuck in a building, talking to each other. We're made to come together, encourage each other, leave and change the world. That's the DNA of Christians. You look at our forefathers, our brothers and sisters, those that have gone before us to give us what we have right now, they sold in blood, fed to the lions, put in dungeons, burnt alive, burnt at the stake. That's, that's the heritage that we have as believers. Do you think it should stop and we suddenly should just be consumers where we get fed and just live these lazy lives? No, it's not acceptable. Okay, so I'm going to give you something. If you want it, I'm going to give you something. This is a way to share the gospel in two minutes. Now, we're going to give you some cards, but I'm asking one thing, that you only take it if you will use it, okay? I'm not into force feeding, and I don't believe the Lord is either. It's invitational, and he will extend an invitation to you. Let me tell you this, the gospel, uh, the Great Commission, it wasn't a great suggestion, it was a command. Go and make disciples. So you can say, you're going over the top, you're just one of those wacky evangelists, and I'm going to say this, man. These aren't my words, they're Jesus's, okay? The Great Commission wasn't just a, it wasn't just a suggestion, it was a, it was a command. And it also wasn't just a great mission, it was a co-mission. And that's the good news for you. What that means is that you've got a partner, the Holy Spirit. And he will go with you and he will go alongside you and cover you every step that you make. You've just got to follow him, it's easy. But you've got to be willing to do it. If you're not willing, nothing's going to happen. If you're willing, I would love to give you one of these cards. I'm going to run, run through it here quickly, okay? So we approach a stranger. And we say, excuse me, can I ask you a quick question? Now that is not written on there because I believe you're intelligent enough to remember it. <laughs> Step of faith maybe, but hey. Excuse me, can I ask you a quick question? That's it. Real simple. No, uh, go away. You're ugly. And Irish. Or whatever they may say. What am I going to say? I'm going to say, no problem, have a great day, Jesus loves you, and I'm moving on. I'm not going to say, oh no, and try and, be feel, and feel all awkward. Let me tell you this, you're giving them a gift. You don't need to be on the back foot, ever. If I walk into a situation, if I approach five people in a, let me tell you this quickly. <laughs> I know I'm a little on the clock. Okay, quick one. <laughs> I'm really, he's trying to, he's trying to keep me, he's, this man really helps me. He's confining the, the, uh, my skill set because I have this problem where I just kind of speak too much. I spoke in this church, man, and, and I literally went on. It was two services. I kept speaking, and the second service, people were coming in. So it's like I've got to learn, and Aaron's helping me bless his heart. But just one quick one. I was in Dallas last weekend with Pastor Chris, and we go to the mall. Chris is busy in a meeting. Me and Jeremy Lamb and Jeremy Brown go to the mall just to chill out a little bit of shopping, sightseeing. And as we're there, we can't help ourselves. We're like, man, we've got we to tell some people about Jesus. So uh, it was mainly Jeremy who kind of led the way. So we get going and we get talking and one turns into another one and another encounter. By the end of one, uh, 90 minutes, 16 people had said, I want to give my heart to Jesus in Dallas, Texas. 
But the one I want to highlight just briefly is this. We were all sat around and we kind of finished and we're just chilling out waiting to go. And I see a, a Dallas police officer, a D, D, P, D. There you go, D, P, D. Thank you. And the DPD guy's walking past. He's got the full, you know, police officer outfit on. He's just walking past, and I'm thinking, <laughs> I wonder. Now, I don't know if the guy's going to respond, man, because that's not my job, yeah? If anyone knows about Jesus at the door, people are like apples on a tree. We share, he shakes. I don't know who's going to fall. All I know is I'm going to share. So he walks past, and I'm thinking, why not? Let's go for it. So I walk over, and I stop this police officer. And I just begin to go through Jesus at the door with the guy. And the Holy Spirit just moves on him. And, uh, and the guys, a couple of our guys were kind of like watching, thinking, nah, I don't reckon it's going to go that way. But the Lord was on the guy, and man, I, I got to the point, and I said, hey, you know, we, you're going this way without Jesus. Do you want to ch- change direction and follow him? He said, man, I got divorced 10 days ago. He said, and my life, the way I would describe my life is stagnant. I don't know which direction I'm going in. I said, would you, would you give your heart to follow Jesus? He said, yes, I would. And, and his radio was beeping through. Uh, you know, his uh, radio was coming through with the, the other officers talking. He turned the radio down, and he prayed out loud to accept Jesus right there and there. <clears throat> Come on. This man, was a, this man was a sergeant in the Dallas police. A sergeant. And I got him on Facebook, and he uh, messaged me straight back within one hour to say thank you for praying for me. I just want to tell you that it's harvest time, okay? Have you seen this picture before? Do you pray? What about an emergency? What about a crisis situation? So, you know, somebody's dying in the family, a real crisis. Would you pray? No, not really, no. Well, do you believe God is there? If they say yes, this is Jesus knocking on the door of your heart. You let them know what, exactly what the picture is. Let's lay down the foundation right from the beginning. Jesus knocking on your heart, the door's on the, handle's on the inside, and you can let him in. Now, I'm just going to fly through this quickly, okay? Lots of people pray. Praying is like talking through the door. You know he's there somewhere. You don't know him personally. Now, do you know people who know Jesus uh, to a point, but they don't know him like you do? It's called religion. So we've got to make a clear distinction between I know God is there somewhere, and I know God personally. Now, that is a big difference, yeah? So we want to make sure that that's a clear distinction. The blue zone, you know, see, those, that, see that picture? That was blue, okay? So that's called the blue zone. Am I going too quick? Okay, I know, but I'm trying to. Okay, okay. You guys all right for a little bit? Okay, okay. Otherwise, you might not understand me, huh? When I talk fast, is anyone struggling to understand my accent? Okay. You wouldn't say it, would you? You're too nice. So the blue, the blue picture, we call that the blue zone. It's got three steps on it. Then we go to the red, uh, the blue zone still. And then we go to the red zone. That's got three points on it. Each of the sections have three points. It's not that difficult. And then we hit the red zone. This is all about sin. Okay. Visualize wearing a backpack. We fill it with all your sin. Would it be heavy? No, I've never sinned in my life. I am a perfect person. I am, I make Mother Teresa look sinful. Now, you're going to get some people out there, maybe not as much as that, but you're going to get someone like, man, I'm good. I'm good. I've never sinned. Do we sit them down and tell them, hey, what a filthy sinner you really are. And we start looking into their life and pulling out these things and making them feel real bad. Because that's what evangelists do. Or some people think. That's what some people think. No, we don't do that. Let me tell you why. Because it is not our job to convict of sin. If you don't believe me, read in John chapter 16, verse 8, where Jesus said the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. 
Now, I would rather let the Holy Spirit do it than me. And I'm going to tell you this, even if they haven't been convicted before that moment, the gospel is power enough to shift them right there and then. That's the power of the gospel. So again, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do that, okay? So, would your bag be heavy? Yes, there will be something in it. That represents your debt with God. It stops you having a relationship with Him. And that is what He wants. He doesn't want your religion. Again, we're hammering home. It's not about religion. There's a lot of people who know Jesus is there, and they talk to Him every single night on their knees before bed, but they don't know Him in a real way. If you owed the bank $10,000, I gave you a check for that amount, and you deposited it in your account, what would happen to your debt? It would clear it. It's not difficult. You don't need to be a, a genius to know the answer to that. It's gone. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He wrote you a check signed in his blood. I say he didn't use a pen. He wrote it in his blood. And he wrote your name on it. And he's standing here today asking will you cash it in. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Simple stuff, huh? People look at our card. I train people. And they're like, really? Is this it? I'm like, yeah, man. Try it. And the yellow zone. If Jesus were here right now, would you let him in? You know, some people say about our, our car, they say, man, it's, it seems too quick. It's like kind of some sales pitch. It's too fast because it takes about two minutes. And I refer them to Luke chapter 19, verse 1 to 9. There's a little man who climbed a tree. Do you remember that guy? His name was Zacchaeus. He climbed a tree to look at Jesus. Didn't look like he was looking for God, but Jesus marched through and said, Zacchaeus, tomorrow Peter will come, take you to the Cafe de Jericho over 12 weeks and over food. He will expound the scriptures to you to make sure this is a decision you genuinely want to go in. No, he didn't, but he could have. It's called sowing, but you don't sow when it's time to reap. So what Jesus said is this. He said nine words. Hurry today, I must come and eat with you. Nine words. Hurry today, I must come and eat with you. And that was it. Just like the apple, he came down the tree. That quick. We say it in nine points. Can we not say it in nine points if he lives inside of us? When he said it in nine words. He goes home with Zacchaeus. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Many believe he became one of the inner circle, one of the twelve. I'm going to tell you this. The gospel is powerful enough. You've just got to put your trust in it. The Zacchaeus moment, would you let him in? Well, if he was here, yes. Who believes Jesus is here right now? Thank the Lord. Okay, that's good. So do I. But I can't prove it to you. I can pray, uh, sorry, I could tell you about my testimony. I could share what God has done in my life, but that's not proof. But there is one who reveals Jesus. Who is that? The Holy Spirit. And he happens to be your captain. He happens to be Going, uh, he happens to have gone in front of you, leading your every step. We just got to trust the Holy Spirit. So what do we do? We pray. Can you see the wind? No. Will you feel it? Stick your head out of a moving vehicle. How do you know the wind is real? Because you're going to feel it blowing in your hair for those lucky enough to not be follically challenged. <laughs> you're going to feel it, man. Or you're going to feel it in your face anyway. So how do you know it's real? Because you feel it. Can I pray for you right now to feel his presence? And then what do you do? You pray. You better make sure that your prayer is eloquent and flowery and deep. No, you haven't. You just let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. Holy Spirit, let him feel you. That's a good enough prayer. My 11-year-old friend, Isabel, she didn't pray an eloquent prayer. Jesus, just show this, this lady that you're here. You don't need fancy words, and he doesn't need your fancy words. Let him know you're here. 
tell me, how do you feel? Now, sometimes it's evident. You can see people crying. They feel the spirit. But ask them, how, does that fe- how did that feel when I prayed for you? Tell me. I felt this. I felt that. Would you believe that Jesus is here? Yeah. Now, the last thing. You've got to change. Turn from the road you're on without him. Change direction and follow him like a sheep and a shepherd. You're the shepherd of your life, and you need to make him the shepherd of your life. Do you want to follow him? We don't say, hey, you know, and uh, change that, turn around, change direction, okay? Now pray with me and you can follow him. No. Without the cost, it's not real. We're not giving out tickets to heaven. We're making disciples. So you've got to turn and follow. Do you want to follow? No. No problem. Let's connect. Let's meet up next week. Let's talk a bit more. Do you want to follow? Yes, I do. Okay, let's pray. And then you talk them through and they pray to accept the Lord. Quite simple. Takes about two minutes, I promise you. It's not difficult. And you know, I didn't make this up. I didn't sit at home in my prayer closet. I'm going to forge an evangelistic technique to win the masses. I didn't do that. Do you know what I did? Honestly, I stepped onto the street and I said, Lord, I need you. Will you help me, please? Show me how this thing works, man. I don't know. I, I love you and I love people, but I don't know how to do it. I'm not that fruitful, if I'm honest. I said, God, please help me. And I stepped into it. You see, I left my cage. I left the safety. I left this environment that I was safe in. And I said, okay, here we go. Let's do it. And I was, I was trusting one person and one person alone. I have a, a saying, you know, that we come to conferences in church and we say, God, give us more and we'll go. But he says, no, you go and I'll give you more. Now I want to tell you this. The cage is open. The Lord showed me in a vision a key in the shape of a cross. And he goes into, into these cages, these prisons, and, he's, and he turns it and he opens it. Every single prison door has been opened by the power of the cross. All you've got to do is walk out. He won't force you out. And I want to tell you this, that every single person here is a soul winner and a disciple maker. But will you be influenced by his voice instead of society's? So there's one thing I'm going to share and then I'm going to close, okay? I just want you guys to see the reality of this thing. So one quick story. Okay, we did a tent crusade in my town and in my community in Ireland. Now, I realized that, you know, people weren't coming to church. And I'm thinking, man, it's not good enough. I need to reach people with this message, but they won't come. So what do we do? Let's take church to them. So we went and I said to my pastor, can I have a tent? Will you buy me a tent? He said, no. I said, he said, go and, go and show me that it works in the community centers first. So I go to the, few, the five roughest community centers, rent the hall, invite the local people, go back a year later, can I have my tent? He says, okay, I'll get you your tent now. So we go and we pitch up a tent in the five worst like project areas in my, in my community. These are paramilitary run estates. These are like, you know, the IRA type stuff. So guys go with balaclavas, kick your door down and shoot people, that kind of activity. These uh, areas are run by fear by these gangs, run them through fear. So I decided that I, would want to go, I wanted to go and share the gospel there. So I asked who wanted to come, but there wasn't very many hands going up. So we had a small team until all of my new believers, the guys who I'd led to the Lord, they said, we'll go here. You see, they could remember how it felt to be rescued. So they came with me and we went and we pitched up this tent. We didn't know what we were doing, but we just tried. And we let the Holy Spirit lead us, and a lot of people got saved. It was wonderful. We had our highest turnover in terms of follow-up that weekend at church of people that came. It was incredible. 
And on the last evening, we, we had it in this estate, this big, huge estate called Ballycastle. And we put up a tent and the wind and the rain, it just came out of nowhere. This like storm came. And honestly, it was that bad that we were holding the, the poles and the wind was bending our tent poles. And I remember we had about nine people through the whole service. As we were building the tent, I'm thinking people are falling out with each other. They're kind of getting annoyed with each other. I'm thinking, should we just pull the plug on this one? But I'm like, no, we've got to carry on. So we carried on, and nine people through the whole meeting had to hold the, the corners of the tents, of the tent, to stop it from caving in. But we pressed in. And then I gave an altar call. I said, hey, if you want to know this Jesus, man, come on, up on your feet. If you can't stand up in a tent, you won't be able to stand about there. So these people came to the front, and one young man, was called Stuart, his name was. He's a 20, 26-year-old lad. He was there with his brother Gareth. His brother Gareth got saved six months before. Now, he'd been trying to get his brother to church for six months, but he wouldn't come. I ain't going to church. I don't even believe in God. But he was able to get him to a tent in the field. So he came, and he stood there. And as he stood there, the power of God and the love of a Savior who hung on a cross for every sin he'd ever committed fell upon this young man. And he went, ah! And he began to cry as this cry from his soul came out of him, and he was released from all the bondage and all the pain and all the lies that had been uh, encroached in. He was set free in that moment. Straight after the service, I got my phone out and said, Stuart, tell, tell the people what just happened to you. And he stood there, and the wind was blowing, and, and, and you know, you couldn't barely hear him. But he's like, I just came here with my brother. And I didn't know it was gonna, I was going to find God, but it changed my life. And I felt this burning in my chest. And I feel different now. 45 seconds. And for the next week or so, Stuart, he came to church. Next week and a half with, with me and my wife, and we got to worship together. He, he said, I wanna, I'm signing up to be baptized. I'm signing up to, to learn how to be an evangelist. I want to be in your street team, Scott. Him and his brother uh, together, two brothers together, going for it. He became, he was a full-time criminal. He was a drug dealer, uh, a violent guy, been in and out of prison. He had nine death threats from the paramilitaries. You get one, you better leave town because they're going to kill you. He was on the run from Scotland, uh, England, and Ireland. He was just kind of moving around so that these guys couldn't catch him. He was a wanted man. Crazy lifestyle. But you know what? He changed instantly. He began hoovering and cleaning in our church. He began volunteering. He's like, I'll do anything. I just want to help. The only job he'd ever had is a drug dealer. So he's like, well, I'm not doing that anymore. I've got loads of time. What do you, what do you need? So he's hoovering. He's cleaning and all these kind of things. And then he's like, um, and then people start coming to his home. And he's like, you don't come into my home and swear. You don't come and cuss in my house, man. This is God's house now. And he starts reprimanding his friends. And they're like, what happened to this guy? So this is what happened. We go to England. I'm speaking at a conference. Uh, three, three and a half weeks had gone by since he got saved. And I'm getting on the ferry with my family to come home. And I get a phone call from my friend Ryan, who's leading my new believers group. And he says, Scott Stewart's just died. He said he went camping with his girlfriend last night and he never woke up. Three and a half weeks after he accepted this everlasting lifeline, his life was snuffed out gone dead and we were shocked we couldn't believe it none of us could believe it God had done such a mighty move in our community through this man and we were like how can he just die we didn't understand it and then I started getting these messages from people and they were messaging me on Facebook they were saying I want the Jesus that Stuart had that was it that was the messages I want the Jesus that Stuart had you see they didn't want religion 
They didn't want a, a book of do's and don'ts and rules, but they wanted what could transform a hard-hearted criminal into a loving, godly man. They wanted that. And their family, his family said, will you come and speak at our funeral? At his funeral, I said, of course I will. So I go to the funeral, I got my best suit on, my Bible and under my arm, ready to preach, preach a storm from the pulpit. And I'm like, where's the church? And I'm like, oh no, we don't have a church, we're not a religious family. You just do it at the graveside. So I stood at the graveside with a Bible in my hand, and I said, look, I know all of you people here, I know what you're thinking about, Stuart. You're thinking, you know, his life was crazy. But you can't deny that these past three and a half weeks, that, that's a, that was a new man. You can't deny it. Not one person can deny it. He changed. And I'm going to tell you why he changed. He changed because of the blood of Jesus. You see, the blood of Jesus can wash the filthiest sinner clean. And that same blood that was shed over 2,000 years ago to make Stuart clean is available for you right now. Do you want to be clean? Come, put your hand in the air. And hands went up around that graveside as people accepted Jesus. A family came weeping in tears. A father said, she, my daughter's uncontrollably crying. And I said, yeah, I know it's, this is very sad. She said, no, it's not that. It's, it's more than that. She was under conviction from God for her sin. The power of God moved at this, pla- at this funeral place. And his mother came to me. She said, Scott, for three and a half weeks, I got my son back. I got my son back. And they buried him in the t-shirts that we wore at our mission with a Bible on top of him. And his whole family got saved. And they all began to come to our new believers group, the whole family. I want to tell you this. The people are drowning. And I'll close with this. People are drowning, okay? You've seen the movie, The Titanic. There's an ocean with souls. I have a a poem I wrote, says, I saw a sea of souls, men and women, young and old, dying to hear what they should have been told. Near a multitude of saints, anesthetized by grace, grown fat like kings while paradise awaits. I'm going to tell you this, people are dying. And what happened in the Titanic is we focus on those that were dying, yeah, but there there were boats that were only half filled. And people sat in those boats and they, they pretended they, they tried to drown out the, the cries of the dying. They just tried to block it out. They sat there and they could see people dying and screaming, help me, please, somebody help me. And they sat in the boats, the half-emptied boats, and they just tried to block it out as much as they could because they didn't want to hear the cries when all they had to do was take the lifeboat reach out their hand and rescue some people. And I'm going to be frank. For many of us, our churches are, life, are like lifeboats and they're half, they're half empty. But still we sit every week, week after week, and we, we kind of block out the cries of the dying and the drowning. Well, the Lord wants you to do something. He wants you to reach out your hand and start rescuing. Do you know all I did? All I did was take my tent, my boat, to a part of the ocean where nobody had gone. That's all I did. What about this place here? Will you take your boat to a part of the ocean and will you reach out your hand and rescue some folks? You see, there's only two people, rescuers or spectators. Which one are you? Ask yourself, which one are you? Who am I? Am I a rescuer or am I a spectator? Because if you're not rescuing, all you're doing is spectating. And the good news is this. You don't need to be anyone special to be a spectator. 
because you have the spirit of the living God, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. You've already got everything you need. Just reach out your hand. Go and buy a liter of milk and say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? I implore you. We need you. People are dying and they need what you have. You're too beautiful and you're too, uh, you're too wonderful to be kept in a building. That is not who you are. You need to be out there. And they need to see who you are. Because you're beautiful. You're a gift to this world. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence. And I want to ask anyone right here, right now, if you're here, and if you're drowning, you may say, Scott, I'm not drowning, I'm good. Let me tell you this. Just because you found a bit of driftwood to lean on, that doesn't mean you're not drowning. You may have a good job, you may have a nice car, money in the bank, good relationship, status in the community. But if you close your eyes on earth tonight and don't know when you open them, you'll be face to face with Jesus saying, all is well with my soul. Then he wants to rescue you tonight, this morning. Will you reach out your hand to be rescued? Jesus is in the water with you. The Holy Spirit showed me an image of the Father. He comes by in the ship of salvation and he threw Jesus in like a lifeline into the cold, dark waters. He said, there you go. And anybody who gets close to his son, he will pull him aboard the ship of salvation. All you got to do is reach out your hand and he will do the rest. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die. He didn't give 60% of himself. When we were singing nothing but the blood of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was showing me again and again how Jesus gave it all. We don't have to do that part. It's already been done. But your cost is to reach out and say, here I am. So I want to ask two things. One, if you're here right now and you don't know him and you want to be rescued, raise your hand. Raise your hand in the air. Hi. Hi to heaven. Say, Lord, here I am. I don't know if I belong to you. I don't know if I even know you, but I want to. Don't be ashamed. He wasn't ashamed when he hung on a cross naked for you. Here I am, Lord. Here's my hand. Rescue me. Pull me aboard the ship of salvation. I want to belong to you. God bless you. If you're here this morning and you're like, man, I'm just a spectator. I want to be a rescuer. And come on down here, we're going to pray for you. Come on down on my right side and we're going to pray for you. Be honest with yourself. There's no shame in it. But what you're saying is this. I don't want to live one more day as a spectator. I don't want to live one more day blocking my ears and pretending I can't hear the cries of the dying. I want to do something, God. You come on down. And for that, for, for that gentleman who responded to be rescued, would you please come down here, sir? If there's anybody else and you want Jesus, you want Jesus to take your hand, come on down here. Don't be ashamed. If you can't stand in a church of people that love you, you'll never stand out there. So over this side, if you want to be a rescuer instead of a spectator, and over here, if you want to give your heart to Jesus, come on over. Come on over, sir. If you're giving, if you're giving your whole heart to him, come on. God bless you. God bless you. Come on over. Come on down. We're going to pray for you folks. And then if you want to, any of our ministry guys, let's come and pray for these guys. Okay, anybody else? If you're here and you're saying, Jesus, here's my hand, take a hold of me. Come. Come now. Anybody? 
Okay, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for our brother here. What's your name? Daniel. Okay, we're going to pray for Daniel. Okay, the Bible says when you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you'll be saved. So you say this with me and we'll say it together. Lord Jesus, I open the door of my heart. I open the door of my heart. I say sorry for my sin. I say sorry for my sins. I choose to follow you. I choose to follow you. I make you Lord of my life. I make you Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We pray for him. Fill him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You guys, hold out your hands. Okay, if any of the ministry guys want to pray for, for this team here. Do you want to finish up while I pray? Okay. Father, I thank you for these brave souls. I thank you for these brave warriors. I thank you that that was a cost, not only to respond to that call, but to come and stand here. And I ask you for your power to touch them right now. I pray for boldness in Jesus' name right now. Boldness from heaven. Fire from heaven. Fill them up, Lord. Fill them with the boldness from heaven. In Jesus' mighty name, I thank you for these lionesses. I thank you for these warriors that are here. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to do wonderful things through their lives. Thank you, Jesus. Set them free, Lord. Loose their tongue. Let them speak for you. Release it, Lord. Release a fire inside of their bodies, inside of their hearts that burns for you, Lord. I ask you that you break their hearts for what breaks yours. I pray you'd show them through eternity's lens and let them see the perishing, Lord. Thank you for these brave ones. Jesus, Jesus, we praise you. Fill them, Lord. Fill them. You know, when that boat in the Titanic, it was a lady that stood up and she said, what are we doing? Something's got to change. Man, I'm so passionate about women evangelists. My biggest heroes in my life are women, beginning with my mom and then my wife. My biggest heroes are women. Man, I believe it is time. There's a call for women to rise up and be evangelists. No more hiding in the shadows, ladies. It's time to step up. Some of you women, man, you're, gonna, you're like, man, my husband's not even doing anything. You need to step up. God's going to raise you up. Fill them, Lord. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Fill them with your power. Fill them with your spirit. Thank you for the gospel. Jesus, fill them, Lord. Be led. Strong voice. Fire of God. Fire of God. Touch them, Lord. Touch them, Lord. Jesus, I pray. 